the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Alrighty then, good morning to you. Thank you so very much for joining us this morning. It is a Thursday. It is the sixth morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. It's more than just any Thursday. It is Holy Thursday as we get prepared for the passion of our Christ, the uh, Easter weekend, of course. Uh, this is our last live show of the of the week. Tomorrow we will have a best of show, and I've been talking to our producers and our team, and they're going to put a tremendous show together for you for tomorrow. Uh, but this is our last live show. As Hugh Hewitt just told you, Salem takes Good Friday uh, as a day off for obvious reasons, and uh, that's what we are going to do tomorrow as well. But I want to make this last live show count today, so we've got a very, very good one lined up for you coming up on the program this morning. Uh, we're free for the first hour. Uh, and then at 1010, we're going to talk to Jonathan Broadbent, who's going to uh, kind of fill the gap created by Dr. Everett Piper being out today. So uh, Jonathan Broadbent has got some more information on the school sit- situation in various districts in Ohio. Few people 
are as dedicated and as uh, motivated to stopping the indoctrination and the sexualization of children uh, in our public schools the way Jonathan Broadman is. Uh, he is uh, one of the leaders of Protect Ohio Children North. He'll join us with some uh, new stories coming up at 1010. At 1035, Josh Williams, freshman Republican state representative from Toledo, um, he is out with a statement. I think I told you about this back on maybe Monday, maybe it's Tuesday. But Josh Williams um, um, has got a statement about what is being done to the Ohio House, what is being done by Jason Stevens, what uh, is being done to HJR1, uh, which, of course, is the resolution to uh, raise the threshold in the Ohio Constitution to amend it uh, to 60%. Um, he's put a strong statement out. I asked to talk to him earlier this week. He was busy in court. He's an attorney. But he is free this morning, and he will join us at 1035 to talk about that statement. And then at 1110, a bonus for you. It's a Thursday version of Kersenow. How about that? Peter Kersenow was uh, unable to join us on Tuesday, and he is making up for that with a uh, final uh, 45 minutes or so of the program from 11 o'clock until about 1145 this morning. So Peter Kersenow with us live. So that's where we sit. We're back heavy on guests. We are open more in this first hour. So that's why you should probably keep this number ready. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers will bring you right here, and I look forward to speaking with you. So. A red pill <clears throat> landed on the uh, on the plate in front of a Democrat in North Carolina, a Democratic state representative named Trisha Cotham. Apparently, saw it, picked it up, and swallowed it, and immediately became a Republican. How about that? Um, representative Trisha Cotham switched parties five months into or five months after her election. She's a Democrat in a very Democrat district, which ticks off all of the Democrats in uh, North Carolina because she won running as a Democrat in a deep blue uh, area of Charlotte, North Carolina, and then said, just kidding, I'm a Republican. <laughs> Art, you didn't say that. Quite literally, she didn't say, I'm, uh, I'm just kidding. But that's kind of how many people are perceiving this. She was in the post for five months before she decides to switch. But the reason they're so angry isn't just one, you know, people f- switch from time to time. Yesterday I told you about, um, uh, as we discussed the Trump indictment, um, Justin Amash, the former Republican um, who hated Trump, who voted to impeach Trump, Trump um, decided to leave the Republican Party and become a libertarian or switch to a libertarian uh, party. But he was even one of those defending President Trump yesterday. So we, you see it from time to time. You see people flip and flop. Some people think Joe Manchin is eventually going to flip to Republican as well. But what makes this one particularly interesting uh, and it should be interesting all over the country, not just in North Carolina, is the fact that this particular flip from Democrat to Republican creates a supermajority for the Republicans in the legislature in North Carolina. That means the Republicans will now be able to override Democratic Governor Roy Cooper's vetoes. It gives the Republicans new powers to set and dictate the legislative agenda. So this flips power in essentially all of North Carolina from blue to red. And that is an outstanding development. Can of so, you yeah. dig it? Yeah. That is, uh, that's an important uh, development in and of itself. But a little bit more on this. The modern-day Democrat Party has become unrecognizable. 
is what uh, uh, Tricia Coltham has said. Uh, in fact, let's listen to her say it. Modern-day Democratic Party has become unrecognizable to me and to so many others throughout this state and this country. The party wants to villainize anyone who has free thought, free judgment, has solutions, who wants to get to work to better our state, not just sit in a meeting and have a workshop after a workshop, but really work with individuals to get things done, because that's what real public servants do. If you don't do exactly what the Democrats want you to do, they will try to bully you. They will try to cast you aside. They will try to destroy you is what they do. Quite frankly, they will try to destroy you. It's what the difference is between groupthink and independent thought. She talked about that. You just heard that that part. The most important, I think, uh, words there were, were talking about independent thought and talking about doing what you believe to be right, not what the whole party tells you to do. In, in many ways... Um, this is going to be awkward, but I've said this: independent and free thought is our is our greatest strength as conservatives. It's also our our most um, dangerous flaw, if you will. One of the reasons why Democrats keep winning in places where they shouldn't, where they don't have, you know, the right legislative ideas, where they don't have. Um, the right values, where they don't have the right, you know, they don't have integrity, they don't have the right morality on various decisions. They're just wrong in so many ways. But they win elections with their wrong ideas and their terrible candidates because they do unify, man. They unify. And the reason why is what you just heard from this now former Democrat, Trisha Coffin, in North Carolina. If you don't do exactly what the party tells you to do, if you don't engage in their groupthink, they will destroy you. And that is exactly why she said, I can't be a part of that because I have independent thoughts. So you come over to the conservative side, the Republican side, and again, it's kind of mutually, uh, independent thought is kind of mutually our greatest advantage, and it's also our deepest flaw because we do have different people who think differently about different things. And they're all intended the right way. They're all conservative in, in nature, most of the time anyway, the ones that we support. Uh, but not everybody thinks identical to one another. And sometimes there will be disagreements and sometimes there will be uh, battles. And I'm not talking about the type that are, um, you know, what the radical gang of 22 did to steal power in the Ohio legislature the way they did. We're not talking about that. That was a power grab. That wasn't an ideological difference. That was a power grab. That was selling your soul. That's what Jason Stevens and the other 21 did. Sold their souls to the devil a.k.a. the Democrats, and I think they're almost unique, almost uh, um, uh, identical at some, some points, but sold their soul to the Democrats for pure, blatant power and the ability to an advance agenda that they did not necessarily think the real conservatives in the, other, in the uh, uh, caucus, the other 45, would go for. Uh, perhaps things like, you know, embedding abortion and uh, taking parents' rights away by putting it into the Ohio Constitution. Yeah, things like that. So we're free thinkers. We're independent of thought. And, and like I said, that's a good thing. There's room. But we are not, um, uh, you know, we, we cannot and we should not um, be so much at odds that we actually do harm to the overarching goal of the Republican Party, which, of course, is uh, to support the Constitution, to support our freedoms, limited 
tiny, itsy-bitsy bits of government uh, just giving us the basics, giving us the infrastructure, giving us the safety and the security, and then getting the hell out of the way while the rest of us do what we have to do for our own lives. That has to be the overriding principle of Republicans and of conservatism. So Cotham moves over to do that, to say that's what I want to have happen here. I'm not going to be a slave to the groupthink of the Democrat Party. And the governor of North Carolina, Democrat Rory Cooper, called the switch disappointing and then said, and I quote, Representative Cotham's votes on women's reproductive freedom, i.e. killing babies, election laws, LGBTQ rights, i.e., trying to destroy women, and strong public schools will determine the direction of the state we love. It's hard to believe she would abandon these long-held principles, and she should still vote the way she always always said she would vote when these issues arise, regardless of her new party affiliation. Democratic Representative Cecil Brockman sympathized with the departure and placed the lion's share of the blame on his own party. I think she just wanted to do what's best for her district, and when you're constantly talked about and trashed, especially the way that we have been over the past few weeks, I think this is what happens. So how about that? A little bit of soul-searching there for one of the leaders of the Democrats. But it's too late. She's become a Republican, and there's now a veto-proof majority. Now, let's talk about what this means here in Ohio. Let's talk about what this means in the big picture. What this means in the big picture in Ohio, and I think should be really in all quote-unquote red states, um, is that we cannot ever give up on flipping people. Now, in North Carolina, they were able to flip, or technically the Democrats drove her away, but the Republicans were more than happy to accept her in uh, as, uh, as another vote for, uh, you know, for their agenda. Here in Ohio, um, it, it should be a little bit easier than that because we don't have to flip actual Democrats over to uh, the Republican or the conservative way of thinking, what we need to do is take the trans-Democrats and detransition them. Right? I talked about this in uh, some depth. We talk, talked about it with Jack Windsor um, just a couple of days ago. And I talked about it with, um, goodness gracious, I'm trying to remember. It was a legislator. Uh, that, oh, it was Representative Wiggum. I was talking about it with Scott Wiggum. And he said he truly believes there are at least a handful of the gang of 22 in the state of Ohio that turned their backs on the voters, on the Republicans who gave them their power, gave them the veto-proof majority and so forth. Um, he said there are at least a handful that he believes really regret their decision to vote for Jason Stevens and to split the caucus and to side with the Democrats and to give the Democrats a seat at the table that they do not deserve based on their minority um, of uh, of the of the uh, general assembly, and I kind of said, you know what? I don't know if I want him back. I don't know if I want him back if they want to regret and repent, unless they apologize for what they've done and 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 vow to make things right. And I may have been a little hasty with that. I, I kind of told Representative Wiggum that a little bit after the the, the first comment. Um, I, I think that maybe we need to consider the fact that there are people who have had better and second thoughts or second and better thoughts about what they want to be as legislators in some of our states. In North Carolina, Trisha Cotham realized, I'm not a Democrat. I can't do this. I won't do this. She switched to become a Republican. The trans Democrats here in Ohio, and these are people who are actual Republicans, but they identify as Democrats because that's what they did is they sided with Democrats over conservative Republicans. The trans-Democrats who want a detransition. 
They want to reverse their surgeries. Thank goodness there weren't actual physical surgeries. They want to reverse their ideological surgeries, and they want to come back to being what they what they were, you know, what they were born as or what they were created as conservatives who believe in liberty and freedom and small government, and the and the preservation of life. I think it's time, maybe, to find out if those people are there, as the representative told me. And I think it's time to reach out and say, why don't you come back over to where you're supposed to be? Why don't you, um, and I think from what I've been told by Representative Wiggum and some others, is it will only take five. It would only take five of the gang of 22 to come back and give them an opportunity then to essentially replace uh, the speaker, to vacate the speaker's chair or seat or gavel or phrase down however you wish, but to vacate the speakership and then have another vote. It would only take five of them to come back over. So if that's the case, I want to use North Carolina and Democrat Tricia Cotham's um, uh, strong move here to go become a Republican. I want to use that maybe as the model. What five representatives of the gang of 22, the trans Dems, and I could read you the list of their names, I've been posting about them a lot recently on my social media for a variety of reasons, but the most of, most of which is I'm just disgusted by their existence because of what they've done to this state and the fact that abortion is just, what, eight months away from being embedded into the Ohio Constitution forever. Um, it's time to look at them and say, who is willing to come forward and say, I made a mistake, I fell in with the wrong crowd, I turned my back on my constituents. I turned my back on the people of Ohio. I turned my back on babies. I turned my back on all of, all that that was important to me, all that was valuable to me. And I want to I want to write that I want to write that wrong. If you can pull Democrats over to Republicans in one state, you ought to be able to pull actual Republicans who are trans Democrats back over to their biological selves here in the state of Ohio. We're going to talk about that a little bit with Josh Williams. That's part of the conversation we're going to have in the uh, second uh, hour of the program at 1035. Josh Williams is a freshman representative from Toledo, and he will be joining us to talk about that situation uh, at about 1035. All right, let me get a timeout now. It's 925. Before we take that break, let's go ahead and rise. Patriots, face your flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a believer in, well, anything and everything that Trisha Cotham just turned away from, and that is the bullying groupthink of the Democrat Party, well, the odds are you don't really respect that flag and what it stands for anyway. You don't have to stand and pledge allegiance to it. You can take a knee instead next to your favorite unemployed quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five is the number to join us on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. We'll be back. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Yeah. yeah. We're doing exactly that. Good morning. I want to hit something uh, real quick before I go to the phone calls. Um, 
yesterday and on Tuesday and I guess on Monday, and I don't know how many days they've been doing this now, probably each of the last three days, at somewhere, some point or another, some place or another, schools are allowing their students to walk out of classes and march to, uh, or even busing them <clears throat> to their state capitals ostensibly to demand safer schools and to protest guns, uh, to argue for the banning of quote-unquote assault weapons and so forth. Of course, these kids, you know, it's it's kind of, well, it's not funny, but it's just, let's let's call it what it really is. Let's be honest about this. Kids are told, hey, you don't have to go to class today if you'll agree to walk to the, you know, local uh, legislative location, whether you go to the state capitol or whether you go to your you know, city council or your mayor's office or whatever it is they're doing. They're marching out all over the place. You tell them, hey, you don't have to take the test. You don't have to do the assignment. You don't have to give your report. You don't have to turn in your paper. You don't have school today if you're willing to march. Okay, and then they hand these kids signs. Then they march them. They take pictures and video of them and say, look at all of these terrified kids who are, who are, who are you know, so afraid of being killed in their schools. They don't feel safe. They're marching for their lives. They put this in. They put this out there as a, uh, you know, as if it's some sort of a, a statement made by the kids. And the kids will say and do anything the adults tell them to do, especially if it means they get out of out of school. There's a tweet from Gavin Newsom from last night, the governor of California, for example. Our kids are begging us for change. They are scared for their lives. We cannot continue to go on like this. He retweeted. Uh, one of these co- stories, you know, the coverages of the kids all marching and going to say they don't want guns and so forth. And so I just feel the need to underscore something that I have said in the past. When you look at the trauma and the tragedy of Nashville, the most recent one of the school shootings, you find out that the shooter, this uh, female who thought she was a guy, this trans uh, person, Audrey Hale, shot 152 times, 126 from the two quote-unquote assault rifles, 26 from the pistol. She ended up killing only six. I'm amazed with that much, uh, that many rounds being fired that she only killed six people. But uh, the audio of the 911 calls was released. At least three of them have been. The audio of the 911 calls were released, and you hear panicked teachers talking about, oh, my gosh, I just heard a shot. Oh, my God, I heard another shot. I heard more shots. Hurry, hurry, hurry. And it, it's worth stating what these 911 calls were, were, were made to do. When they found out there was an active shooter on, on campus, because remember, she shot, uh, uh, it's not even a campus, it's a single elementary school, a little Christian Presbyterian elementary school. It's only like a K through 6. Uh, so it's not even a campus, it's just a building. But she shot the side door out, you know, the glass, and then, you know, uh, came through the glass and then started working her way through the hallways and looking for kids. So they locked the kids down and they started making 911 calls. And these 911 calls talked about the shooting. And it's it's worth pointing out that when somebody is in the middle of a terrible, tragic, active crisis situation like that, in which somebody is shooting people, whether it be in church or whether it be in a grocery store or whether it be, in this case, a school, the people making the 911 calls are calling and asking for something to come to the scene. And you know what they're asking for? They're asking for guns. When 
bad people have guns and are doing bad things with them, the only thing that anybody and everybody wants at that moment in time is a gun. Bring guns. We don't have any. Bring us guns. Shoot bullets back at the person shooting bullets at us because it's the only way to stop them. They didn't say, please send police officers with their batons. They didn't say, please send police officers with their tasers. They didn't say, please send social workers with their therapy to try to de-escalate the situation. When one makes a 911 call in the middle of an active shooting situation, they're placing a takeout order for guns or correction, a delivery order for guns. Bring them and bring them fast. Point them at that person and stop them from shooting us. And guess what a universal truth is? It's a universal truth because it's literally been true in every single one of these situations. The situation, the killing stops when other guns arrive. Because the universal truth among all of these cowards and criminals is they don't mind shooting people, but they sure as hell don't like being shot at. Every single time. There's only one of three things that happens when guns arrive to stop a shooting, an active shooter situation. One of three things happens. Either the police officers with the guns use those guns to kill the active shooter, or that's number one. Number two, the active shooter sees those guns and realizes, I don't want to be shot like I'm shooting all these other people, and they drop their weapon and put their hands up and surrender. Or three, they shoot themselves because they know it's over now. At any rate, the only thing that brings the the terrible, traumatic, horrific, homicidal, mass shooting situation to an end is the presence of guns. So it really comes down to this. Do you want the guns to be there in seconds, or do you want them to be there in 14 minutes? Because that's how long it took the Nashville police to get there and to do what they had to do. Now, that is not obviously an indictment of the Nashville police. I said it before, and I'll say it again. Heroes, all, in particular the two whose names you should always remember, Rex Engelbert and Michael Colazzo. Those are the two officers who got in there and hesitated not at all and went right into the building, started clearing the rooms until they eventually heard where the shots were coming from, went up, found her, shot her, ended the threat. Those are heroes. But it did take 14 minutes because when seconds count, the police are minutes away. So do you want the police office, or excuse me, do you want the guns, which are the only response to guns, to be there in seconds or in minutes? And that's why we need to stop talking about banning guns and start talking about putting them in the hands of good guys, security officers, or police officers on every campus and every school and every, uh, in, 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 uh, in every state in this country. That's just the reality. And they don't have to be uniformed. In fact, maybe they shouldn't be uniformed. Maybe they should be dressed like every other teacher, counselor, staff member in the building. So nobody knows which one is armed and could respond to the threat uh, that is posed by an active shooter. I'll say one more thing about this before I go to the phones. 
216-901-0945. I know people are on hold to talk about the first topic we did this morning, but I'm going to say one more thing about this. Colion Noir is one of the, uh, I think, one of the, the, the most knowledgeable uh, Second Amendment supporters, gun rights, ec- gun rights enthusiasts, and experts in the field. He's an attorney, by the way. He pointed out something that we should all think about. Our president, Joseph R. Biden, has gone on camera numerous times to mock people for wanting to have high-capacity magazines. In his own stupid vernacular, he declared that there should be no one to have any more than eight bullets in a round. That's how he said it. Because he is so extraordinarily ignorant about guns and weaponry, but he's making definitive statements on it. No more than eight bullets in a round. And remember how he mocks people saying, why would you need any more than that? I mean, you know, you need that many that many rounds to, you know, to end a threat or to protect yourself or your family? I mean, what kind of a shot are you? You would need more than that. No more than eight bullets in a round. Put aside for a second the fact that he's an idiot and what he means to say is more than eight rounds in a magazine. But the fact is, he says you shouldn't need any more than eight. What do you need more than eight for if you're if you're uh, uh, out there hunting? What are the deer wearing Kevlar? He thinks you ought to be able to just have eight. So I, I introduce him to the situation in Nashville. You have a shooter who fired 152 rounds. 126 from the rifles, 26 from the pistol. But a respondent is only supposed to have eight rounds? Somebody who might be there to protect the kids, their families, whomever, if it's a situation in a church, parishioner, situation in a grocery store, which we saw in Buffalo, or in your own home with your family. You're only allowed to have eight, and you just better hope you're a really good shot in the middle of panic and terror and chaos and adrenaline and blood pumping. And can I shoot straight or not? I hope I shoot straight enough with one of the first eight because Joe Biden says no more. And the fact that the perpetrator might have 100 or 200 rounds, you see, and you say, well, that's the point. we got to outlaw these things, outlaw these uh uh, you know, these high-capacity magazines. we got to outlaw these these semi-automatic assault weapons that are for military use. we got to outlaw these things. Then the bad guys won't have them either. That's the argument of the American left. That's the argument of the gun control crowd. And as I've said on this program before, and I'll hit it again now, yeah, right, because banning things means criminals don't have them. Criminals, by their nature commit crimes that's what it's in the root word of the word criminal is crime they don't listen to laws you ban fentanyl and gee somehow fentanyl is being trafficked all over this country how did we we banned it it's illegal you can't have fentanyl you have if you even possess it much less sell it you you can go to prison we banned fentanyl and yet huh somehow Bad guys still get their hands on it. We banned heroin, too, and yet, hmm, somehow there are strung-out heroin addicts getting it all over this country. You can ban all of the guns that you want, and you damn well better believe they are going to be all over this country. The only difference is they'll be in the hands of the criminals, not of the law-abiding citizens who actually respect things like bans. So to all of those marching to the state capitals of Tennessee and of Kentucky and other places all over the country where this is going on, 
I hope somebody tells these kids the truth and tells them to get their little happy A's back to class because they have no earthly idea what they're doing. They're marching to make themselves targets. They're marching to endanger their own lives. Okay, Jenny is calling us from Elyria on AM 1420. The answer will go back to the uh, topic of Jason Stevens. Jenny, thank you for waiting. Go right ahead. Hello. I um, did not vote for the governor this this year. The reason I did not vote for him is the way he shut the state down. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't like his policies. I feel he is a rhino. And anybody he endorsed, I didn't vote for them either. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Gail Manning is a member of this Gang 22. I think she is. No, she's but, uh, she's uh, on the she's on she's on the on the Senate side. She no, she's a House of Representatives, and her son is the uh, Nathan Manning. He's a he's a senator. Oh, that's correct. Uh, You're, thank you for yeah. that correction. Yes, yeah. but mm-hmm. no, she her I, I do not believe her name is on the uh, the gang of the list of the Gang of Twenty Two. I'll double check it because I don't have it memorized, mm-hmm. but I don't recall seeing it there. But let, let, let's let you finish making your point. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, she and her son was at Elyria Middle School on Ohio Street mm-hmm. just after the election. Her son got 4,000 votes here in Lorain County. Mm-hmm. She only got 1,200. So people are catching on to her. And I believe her opponent, who was a Democrat, was so much of a socialist, I believe that is why she won the seat. But I believe she's going to lose it the next go-around. I will never well, vote for her again. I'll tell you something. I'm not a massive fan of hers or her sons. Uh, Nathan Manning was running against a true conservative, in my view, which was which was Kirsten Hill, who uh, had been, you know, as you know, a, yeah. a member of the the Board of Education. And I was very, I very strongly in support too. of her. Yeah, so did I. Um, the apple didn't fall far from the tree, pretty much in that family. Meaning, mom and son are both, uh, and they've both, uh, you know, bounced around the legislature. They have both been very, very. I don't know. I would call them Democrat light. Some people like to use the term rhino, but I call it Democrat light and sometimes Democrat heavy, to be honest with you. So uh, I've seen that from both of them. Yeah, she lives in a beautiful $400,000 home in North Ridgeville, and somebody shared with me North Ridgeville pretty much, though, is democratically controlled. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't think but that I is true, it, actually. Yeah, okay. I don't think that is true. Yeah, Demo- uh, I mean, uh, uh, there's there's a strong enough Republican. You know, it, obviously, Lorraine County. If you you live in Elyria, as do I. Um, you, you know, Leary and Lorraine, of course, are heavily heavily Democratic, but there are suburbs that are that are much more favorable, either moderate or you know more conservative leaning. And North Ridgeville is actually, I think, one of those that I would call moderate. Uh, I certainly wouldn't call that you know like a Lorraine or an Elyria in terms of being very Democratic. But yet, she, you're right, continues used to win uh, in her district, and uh, uh, she's not super popular, but uh, there just, I guess, haven't been enough, as you say, uh, true conservative opponents to, uh, you know, to defeat her. Yeah, and I believe Ms. Hill should run for her seat, and I believe she will win it the next go-around. 
Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, her. I would lo- I love Kirsten, and I think she's a great, great person, and I think she's a great leader, and I and I supported her the first time around. I went and made a speech on her behalf uh, during the campaign season, uh, and I and I lived, Nathan Manning was in the room. I wasn't sure, and I said, I don't know if Nathan Manning is here or not, but if you are, uh, uh, we, we need to turn away from this guy and, and support Kirsten Hill. So I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Both, uh, both mother and son are typical of the problems, I think, that we have in this, um, in this uh, state. Uh, and obviously in this particular area of the state as well, because they are Republicans, but they govern like and they act like Democrats. And I've had my fill of those people. She she was a teacher for 37 years. Uh, another thing about um, this governor we have, he's allowed Common Core math to go on in this school in these school districts. Well, we could list. Uh, we 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 could we could make a very very long list. And thank you for the call. By the way, I've got to go here. Um, thank you so much for the call. Um, we can make a very long list of things that Mike Dewine has done that just um, enrages me and you and others. But to stay on the last topic that I was just doing here, for the first time in a long time, I've agreed with Mike Dewine. Mike Dewine wants to spend money, state dollars and put armed security or armed police in every school in Ohio. And he finally got one right there. So marrying the first subject to the second subject or the first topic to the second topic, I think that's at least one thing that we can say. Thank you for that phone call. I appreciate it. We'll come right back on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, in no particular order. I should have known for a fact that uh, Gail Manning was not on the list of the Gang of 22 because her name would have stood out like a sore thumb to me. Um, But in no particular order, this is the Gang of 22. Katrona, Seitz, Peterson, Young, Hillier, Abrams, Swearingen, Jones, Pavliga, Ganbari, Stevens, Edwards, Schmidt, Loray, Cross, Miller, Loichik, Blasdell, Carruthers, Olslager, Patton, and Richardson. That is your gang of 22. So, no, Gail Manning was not on that. And you're right, her son is the senator, of course, and she is in uh, the House. So, uh, just so you know, uh, that is those are the names. You should probably remember, try to remember them. Look them up yourself. That's all I did. And I posted them on a Facebook post a couple of days ago uh, because there was an actual article, speaking of Illyria, the caller was from Illyria, in the Illyria Chronicle-Telegram about um, uh, this Democrat conference that they held at Lorain County Community College. And among the quotes in that article was a quote from Allison Russo, the Democrat leader. She said, quote, here we are now three months in. It's not perfect. We are fighting every single day against this, but Democrats do have a seat at the table in the House. And it just made me so angry because it's true. They do. And based upon their uh, the votes of the people of the state, they shouldn't. The people of the state of Ohio voted for 67 Republicans. A supermajority. The little 32 Democrats had absolutely no say whatsoever in what was going to be legislated until Jason Stevens and everybody else that I just listed gave it to them, gave them a say, gave them a seat at the table, gave them some power. And in fact, when teamed with the 22 trans Dems, the 32 actual Dems have more power than the elected Republicans. How about that? So that's what we're talking about. 
All right, we're going to take a timeout. We're going to talk more about that, by the way, with Josh Williams, state representative from Toledo. That'll be at 1035. But coming up after this top of the hour news, Jonathan Broadbent, protecting Ohio children north. He'll join us on AM 1420 The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420. The answer. Okay, hour number two is underway now on this Thursday morning, the sixth morning of the fourth month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Before I bring in our guest, Jonathan Broadbent, uh, I, I, I'm really, really kind of wanting to, to make this thing uh, clear. And thank you to the caller from Elyria, Jenny, who asked about Gail Manning. And I got a text message from my friend Pete, uh, who reminded me of what happened on that day. The reason Gail Manning's name wasn't on the list of the Gang of 22, nor was it on the list of the 45, is because she wasn't there. She was one of two Republicans who was not there, who was absent at the vote for Speaker. So that matters a lot, actually. What does she stand for? Is she on the side of the 22, or is she on the side of the 45 that wanted to uh, do exactly what the caucus said they would do, unanimously support the winner of the caucus vote, which was Derek Maron? Um, I don't know the answer to that, except that I can look at a couple of other pieces of information and draw my own conclusions. Number one, she did vote. When she came back, she did vote for Jason Stevens' rules package, which was adopted and uh, and uh, passed without any amendments being heard, not approved, even being heard. It was dictatorial in nature because he basically said, these are the rules, no amendments, passed them, and of course it did. So number one, she voted for that. And number two, 20 out of the 22 in the gang of 22 of trans Dems who uh, gave that gavel to, to Jason Stevens, um, got plum committee assignments, including committee chairmanships, and oftentimes replacing um, the Republicans who would have been the chairs or who were the chairs of those committees, but who were Marin supporters. So they were re- rewarded with you know some of the most uh, uh, important, powerful positions on the various committees. And I can tell you this, that Gail Manning was appointed by Ohio House Speaker Jason uh, Jason Stevens as chair of the House Finance Subcommittee on Higher Education. She's also a member of several other committees as well. So Jason Stevens gave her a pretty prime spot as the chair of the House Finance Subcommittee on Higher Education. And given the fact that 20 out of the other 22 got similar type of positions... One would think that, yes, she probably counts herself as a Stevens supporter. She probably counts herself, if she had been present for the vote that day, uh, as somebody who would have voted for Jason Stevens, who would have been a part of the Gang of 22, making her what I've kind of long suspected her and her son of being, which are trans-Dems. They call themselves Republicans, but they identify as Democrats. 
So just a little bit of clarity there since a previous caller asked about Gail Manning. And I had forgotten that she missed that vote. I remember reporting on it that day or the day after uh, on the air and telling people about who was uh, who was in the 22 and who was not and then who was absent, and Gail Manning was one who was absent. So that's why her name isn't really on either one of those uh, sides of that ledger. Okay. Now let's bring in our good friend Jonathan Broadbent with Protect Ohio Children North, also a prominent member of Ohio Value Voters. And Jonathan is working very, very hard, as hard as anybody that I know, honestly, in the state of Ohio, from district to district in all corners of the entire state, to report on indoctrination on CRT, on SEL, that's social-emotional learning, on uh, on uh, DIE, which is diversity, inclusion, and equity, and more, uh, because it's dangerous for our kids. And uh, that's what Protect Ohio Children is all about. And again, as the director of Protect Ohio Children North, he's got a very, very important job. Jonathan, good to have you back on the program. How are you, sir? Good. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me back on. I brought a ton of great stuff but I'll tell you, I wish we were talking about the gang of 22. I wish uh, I was able to call in and talk to you about that. That, I think, we'll save for another day. The the gang of 22 thing and this information about Gail Manning is um, mission critical. I, if, if you don't mind, Bob, I'm going to interject. I'm involved in something called the precinct strategy. Mm-hmm. I think that is the way to fight back and reclaim the Republican Party. But today I brought... Uh, some information on Richmond Heights schools. Richmond Heights, imagine if the KKK or Black Panthers came in with education curriculum into a school district, what the reaction would be from that community. It's, it's outrageous what's happening in Richmond Heights schools. There's something that we all know now that um, BLM is a failed enterprise. We saw the, the graft and corruption, what was it, $83 billion that flowed through and um, it went into the wrong hands. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sudden case of the nerves. Uh, don't usually get that, but I'm going to take a deep breath here. Um, I've, never know, heard you, I've never heard you. I've never heard you have those before. <laughs> you are one of you are one of the most uh, dynamic speakers that I uh, that I've heard. Particularly all of the times you've gone before, uh, you know, some very very acrimonious school boards and uh, you know in the in the lion's den, if you will. So, uh, goodness Thanks gracious, for that, Bob. yeah, no, that's no, that's no you're, you're, from you, you're such a, a tremendous warrior for what we're doing here, and you are such a good voice for it. But anyway, I apologize. Continue. No, th- thanks for that. That means a lot coming from you. So. BLM, when they ramped up, they had something called BLM Education, and it came out, and it was awful. It was everything you could possibly imagine from the far left. It was it was race-baiting, and that's really nothing more than that. It was a money grab, and it was race-baiting. People figured that out quickly, and BLM pulled it from their website. So it's gone now in name, but it's re-manifested in and I can I can clearly point to the distinctions to the uh, similarities between the two, but it's it's come back again under a new brand. You know how the left love to do that. Oh they gosh, just play word they're so games good at and it. rebrand things. Oh yeah, they're so good at it. They name things, uh, you know, they, they they because they know. I mean, people are are very very easily influenced by the way something sounds. It's kind of like uh, you know diversity inclusion, diversity inclusion and equity, and it's it's kind of like the Inflation Reduction Act. It doesn't have to do anything that it says uh, in order for people to fall for it. It just sounds like the right thing. Um, it, it's kind of like gender affirming care. They put the 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 prettiest you know face on something. Oh, it's affirming, careful. It's it's care. That's a good thing to provide, right? Never mind the fact. 
fact that that includes destroying bodies and uh, irreversible da- doing the irreversible dam uh, irreversible damage to uh, to children, but uh, but it's affirming care. So that's what they do. You're right. They brand it and they they fool very easily uh, influenced people that way. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Enter Reconstruction. So anybody that knows history knows that in the, the after the Civil War, Reconstruction was a good thing until it it was it was um, fell apart and um, it, it turned against uh, the growth of the black community post um, slavery in the Civil War. But Reconstruction, for a long period of time, it it signified something good in American history. But what BLM education and the people that espouse the nasty stuff have done have take they've taken the name reconstruction and built this whole curriculum package around it and there are a bunch of these quote-unquote consultants coming out of i believe boston that pump this stuff out into school districts across the country richmond heights is the only one that i know of specifically so far have jumped into the deep end with this stuff richmond heights schools has jumped on board with these consultants, signed up for, I think it's the tune of about $85,000 that they're sending off to this reconstruction group. And these consultants sort of beam in via virtual lessons with the students in Richmond Heights schools. For anybody that doesn't know, Richmond Heights is a predominantly black district with mostly black students. And the black students and families, what they're finding and the reactions that I'm hearing coming from Reconstruction are outrage. It is, it's race baiting on steroids. It's everything about it that I'm hearing is black people are oppressed. They can never amount to anything. The system is stacked against them. White people are all inherently terrible and, and all born racist and they need to become anti-racist in order to correct for the, the, foils and and ills of our history we're even hearing that um some of these consultants are so bad that the students themselves are turning off the program and walking away they're saying you know what forget it i don't care if i get an f i'm not tuning into this because i i recognize for the bs that it is and connected to that we can look at things we know now to look at things like um the books that are being used, the books that are being used in connection with these reconstruction consultants. Let's take a look at February, which was Black History Month. In February, what reconstruction brought into Richmond Heights schools and presumably schools all across the country were the first two books. One was about a young black girl being raped. Uh, The second book was effectively how pushers are better that drug pushers are better than bullies. And so I, I specifically know of black people in the Richmond Heights community who are like, well, what are you kidding me? You're going to tell me that the reading curriculum for my black son or daughter in your school district, in, in our public schools, is to learn that it's okay to be a drug pusher, to, to be a drug dealer in the, if you're black. And so the outrage is is through the roof. But then, as we've sort of been compiling this information and getting it out and sharing through whistleblowers and um, online, we have now found out that Richmond Heights Schools is not backing down. They're actually expanding 
their use of reconstruction. Now what they're saying is they want to bring reconstruction in for early learner, early literacy programs, and for summer school. It's, it's mind-boggling. It's, it's like the thing with porn. It's very similar to me. If people show up and, and point out the fallacies, the, the historical inaccuracies, and how bad the stuff is, and then suddenly school districts go hog wild and add more of it. So, Jonathan, that's a lot of information, and I, I thank you for all of it. A um, couple of follow-ups. You mentioned some of the students were so turned off by the egregious nature of the presentations, they refuse to watch anymore, they don't care if they get Fs for it and so forth. First of all, any idea on what kind of percentages we're talking about? Are we talking about a small handful of the student population, or is there a significant number? Number two, what are their parents saying? Are there parents that are speaking out against this the way that some of the students are? I unfortunately don't have a good answer for either. I don't have a good sense for how many students, as a percentage, are turning this off and walking away and fighting back. Um, and as far as parent organization I'm publicly encouraging, I've been all over social media, encouraging parents of Richmond Heights to dig into this stuff and find out why it's there, where it's coming from. And I've even taken it a step further with great help from your friend and mine, Khalid Namar. I asked Khalid for a list of things that, in my mind, they're just categorically hidden from America, from uh, from the race conversation in America. And Khalid, it's, bless his heart, he's, he's a brilliant, he's a wizard with history. Mm-hmm. I love listening to him talk about um, uh, the history and his historical inaccuracies. But he gave me a list of things that I believe are effectively banished from schools like Richmond Heights. Important topics that really paint a clear picture of race relations, racial development, and slavery and all those types of issues. And so what I've been doing, Bob, is putting out there on social media a challenge. I'd like a school district like Richmond Heights that's probably out there claiming that, you know, the the Republicans, the conservatives are trying to ban books and they're trying to subvert history and all that stuff. My challenge to them, and I'd like to see parents in the district do the same thing, go in with a big stack of stuff. And Bob, I'll send you the the, uh, mess, the list that I got from Khalid Namar. Please do. Go in with a big stack of stuff and challenge them and say, why are these topics covered in Richmond Heights? I challenge you, Richmond Heights, to bring these into your school district. Let's talk about this stuff. Let's talk about who's actually banning books and blocking content and subverting history and hiding important parts of history in America. And there are... There are um, programs out there that are way better than this reconstruction nonsense. I think we all know. Well, John, Jonathan, uh, let me let me jump in because we're a little short on sure. time here. So I want to just ask one other question, and it kind of just goes in with what I think the model has been whenever we see. see and by the way, everything you just described in this reconstruction uh, you know, a program, if you will, sounds just very much like CRT. You know, evil whites are racist to their core, and blacks, you have no chance whatsoever because it's a systemically white racist world. Uh, so you right. might as well go deal drugs and make yourself some money while you can. That, that, that essentially sounds like what CRT proposes anyway. But um, my next question would be the school board. Um, I don't know. 
uh, I'm going to assume, because as you pointed out, Richmond Heights is a predominantly African-American school district, and uh, African-American school probably has predominantly African-American board members. I'm guessing that a white uh, person going to address the school board there and dressing down the reconstruction program might not necessarily be very well received. Do you know anything about that board, and if anybody is speaking out to them about what you've learned? I believe that there are some people within the community that are questioning it more directly of the administration in the school. The composition of the school board, I can't speak to yet. I'm really starting to try and figure out who's there. But I will say, connected to that, Bob, there are rumblings within the district of talk that maybe the problems are that there are too many non-African-American teachers and administrators. In other words, there's a little rumbling going on in Richmond Heights that maybe if the administration and all the teachers were black, then maybe they'd have better results. Wow. That's, that's, that's uh, quite a... That's quite an alarming thing. I'm looking at it right now. I just pulled it up because I could. Uh, board members at Richmond Heights local schools include, it looks like, four African-Americans and one female uh, Caucasian. What that means, I don't know. I just want to know uh, if the board is aware of what is being done by the administrators and the those who uh, uh, propose and implement the curricula at the schools there, if they know what this reconstruction thing is, if they've signed off on it, and if anybody has uh, lodged any complaints with them. Jonathan, I know that's largely what you do and uh, what Protect Ohio Children does, Protect Ohio Children North, so I know you will be digging deeper into this. Please keep us posted. And for those who don't know, Jonathan and I have been talking, as well as John Stover and others, we're going to try to to make this kind of a at least a semi-weekly and maybe a a, uh, a weekly uh, conversation in which we have one uh, half hour a week dedicated to education in the state of Ohio and specifically to indoctrination in the form or rather education in the form of indoctrination rather uh, that we see in too many of Ohio's public and even private schools. So we're going to try to address this stuff on a more regular basis. Uh, so you're going to get used to hearing Jonathan's voice a lot more as well as some others on this uh, very important issue. Jonathan Broadbent, thank you for your work. Thank you for the information on what's going on in Richmond Heights, and we look forward to hearing a follow-up. Sounds good. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, sir. Uh, 1026, time out. We'll come back. Josh Williams is a freshman representative, Republican representative, the first African-American House representative in Columbus in decades. And he's got some thoughts on the Gang of 22 and uh, uh, HJR1, which, of course, is the joint resolution uh, to change the Constitution and require 60% to amend it. So we're going to talk to him next on AM 1420. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1036 now, Always Right Radio does indeed continue. Thanks for being with us on this Holy Thursday. We are, uh, reminder, we are off tomorrow, as is all of Salem, in observance of Good Friday. It's obviously an extraordinarily important time for so many. And uh, we do have a great program lined up for you, though, tomorrow uh, with Best Of. We've got some tremendous segments that we have done in uh, the past. We've been doing this show for nine years now on WHK. We're trying to pull some old stuff, put it together, some more recent stuff, and give you a really great uh, uh, entertaining listen tomorrow morning if you are indeed going to have the radio on. So we have a great Best Of program lined up for you, but we're live again. Uh, on Monday, just to let you know. But we're going to wrap up this day and thus this week strong uh, with our next guest.
Uh, Josh Williams is an Ohio State representative, the first African-American Republican state representative in decades in the Ohio State Legislature, the General Assembly, if you will. And uh, he joins us now to talk about a few things on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, Representative Williams, good to have you back on our program. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you doing, Bob? I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Uh, Last time we spoke, we were talking about um, the fact that the new Speaker of the Ohio House ignored you completely when you tried to rise and offer amendments to some of the rules in the rules package. Uh, So that's been about three months now, I guess. Uh, Can you tell me how things are going for you since that time? Uh, It's been pretty good. Those things have smoothed over. I've had the chance to sit down with the Speaker, bring some of the issues of why I, I stood and rose in objection and why I continue to object to the journal uh, to their attention. We've been able to change some of the procedures and ways that we operate the House to you know, bring uniformity and, and a consensus on the way we operate. Some things I approve of, some things I still object, but overall it's smoothed over. Okay. How would you describe, I'm glad to hear that, the personal part of that, but from uh, the standpoint of operating, uh, as what should be a very strong, supermajority conservative body uh, in that House. Um, how would you describe that, given the fact that, you know, the Gang of 22, as they've come to be known, uh, you know, appear to be working with uh, the Democrats uh, that they partnered with in order to stage the coup that they did? Um, there still seems to be quite a schism between uh, the 45 and the 22. Do you believe that any of those things are getting smoothed over? And do you think that, uh, do you think that the conservative agenda that was kind of brought into this uh, session is, is going to be able to be advanced? Well, I think some of it is smoothed over on the interpersonal relationship uh, part of it. But when it comes to the conservative agenda, you know, we're still, we're still at a tentative moment, uh, especially with, you know, a, a ballot initiative to create a right to abortion up to birth, uh, being on no, potentially on a November ballot. And the fact that we missed deadlines to get House Joint Resolution 1, which would uh, modify the amount of votes needed uh, to modify the Constitution on the May's ballot, and now there's this internal fight about whether or not we should have an August election or not. Well, that is the biggest deal, uh, no question about it right now. There is a full court press that is being put on by a lot of conservative groups in the state to try to get that August uh, um, uh, uh, election, that special election, in order to not have this. I spoke with Scott Wiggum, Representative Wiggum, uh, a couple of days ago, and he pointed out, if we have the the the... HJR one vote uh, on the on the November ballot at the same time as the ballot initiative to uh, embed abortion into the Constitution. We are going to we're going to rue that day pretty much forever because both will pass. And if we pass, yeah. if if they pass the uh, uh, resolution at the same time as passing uh, the uh, the abortion uh, um, uh, referendum, well then to undo that we'll need the sixty percent. Uh, you know, they'll only need 50% plus one to get the actual abortion thing passed, and then we will have put the joint resolution on there, and, and now we won't be able to undo that without 60% going forward, which would be almost impossible. That's how serious this is. Uh, so what is your, what is your take on getting this thing on the August ballot, uh, on a special election, um, in order to stop that from happening? Well, I think there's got to be a full court press. Uh, from individuals that that not only want to protect the Constitution, like myself, but also want to protect the lives of the unborn, they need to call each and every representative that sits in the House now and convince them to sign a discharge petition. Uh, although there's all kind of other letters that are trying to go around, uh, you know, swearing and promising and pledging uh, to support 
an August election, um, there's a discharge petition sitting in the clerk's office right now uh, that all it takes is 50 signatures, 50 signatures um, to, to get that bill, the House Joint Resolution 1, out of committee and to the floor. Um, and I believe last time, I mean, there was a, a substantial amount of the 45 that have already signed on. Mm-hmm. Um, are using other means as a distraction um, to not use the discharge petition. That's how we guarantee it gets to the floor and it gets to a vote. Well, not only you're 100% right, we're talking to Josh Williams, state representative from the Toledo area, and he is, um, uh, he is supportive of the uh, August special election in order to uh, pass HDR1. So Representative Williams, when I talked to Representative Wiggum a couple of days ago, it was in response to a letter sent to him by Jason Stevens dismissing him from his chairmanship of his committee and, in fact, booting him from the committee essentially for signing that discharge petition, essentially saying that you signed this, which means you have no interest in, 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 in uh, you know, passing this stuff out of your committee, uh, that this discharge position is, uh, you know, that's a uh, that's an offense that's unforgivable. And, and Representative Wiggum wrote a letter in response which explained it very, very clearly what Stevens is trying to do here. This is the only way, this discharge position is the only way to go around him to make sure that there is a vote, right? Correct. That is the only way to go around um, there's there's new rules that are on the books that even if the House Joint Resolution 1 gained traction in that committee, it could have been pulled at any time in the rules and references held forever. Um, we haven't been able to get a commitment towards an August election unless House Joint Resolution 1 has the potential to pass in time for the August election. And the only way to get that done is through a discharge petition. So um, it, it, it's, it, we wasted January and February. After a contentious speaker's race, we wasted two months not having session, not getting committees set up, and then, boom, we're right into the budget process for the transportation operating budget. Um, so the fear was that we would get it out of committee, it would be referred to the rules and references, and it could just be held in the rules and references committee. So there's a lot of uh, strategic things of how long they can hold it, whether or not we would be able to sign a discharge petition, so the best path forward is to sign a discharge petition now while it sits in committee and get it onto the floor as soon as possible. Representative Williams, you issued a statement. I want to read part of the quote and let you uh, go into it a little bit deeper. Uh, you talk about voter turnout being typically between 40 and 50%. That means that just 20 to 25% of Ohio voters can amend the Constitution, which opens up the door for outside organizations, outside the state of Ohio, to make decisions on what is done in the state of Ohio as part of a national agenda. How, tell, tell us more about that. So we're seeing, which is a push towards abortion. This is not organic to the state of Ohio. This is organizations that have been successful in other states where the amendment procedures to amend the Constitution are so weak that they could dump in tens of millions of dollars and get abortion through the Constitution. And we've seen it happen in other states. We know who these organizations are. And we even see that the marketing strategies and the organizations they're hiring to do to obtain the signatures are, once again, outside organizations. This isn't organic to the state of Ohio. This is something that was a national agenda by organizations that dump millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars in marketing campaigns. And we've even seen some organizations uh, go to our library using state dollars to go to our libraries to get petitions signed and get signatures verified. So this isn't organic to the state of Ohio. This clause in, in our Constitution allowing it to be amended with just 50%, not 50% of registered voters, 
50% of voters that go to the polls. Why do you think it's convenient that they didn't bring this in uh, the 2024 presidential election cycle where they know voter turnout is going to be high in that, ele- in that election? Instead, they intentionally put it on a 2023 November election where voter turnout is going to be very low. Why? Because there's no statewide candidates on that ballot. There's no state representatives. There's no state senators on, on that ballot. It's mostly local issues. Voter turnout is always substantially lower in these odd number of years. So that's when they think they can get 50% because there's going to be motivated individuals coming out trying to enshrine abortion up until birth. Representative Williams, I want to ask you about the back half of the statement that you put out as well. And uh, I'm not going to debate you on it if, uh, you know, if you feel a certain way. I just want to kind of maybe let you speak on it a little bit more. Um, you wrote that, regardless of my individual position on abortion, the majority of my constituents do not support abortion on demand up until birth. I support this resolution not because it will stop this push toward legalizing abortions. Instead, I support this resolution because it will make it harder to allow outside groups to shape our state without the overwhelming support of voters. So I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to assume anything, but, um, I read it and the way I read it, I wanted to ask you to follow up on it. So I'm, I'm pro-life to the hilt. I believe uh, life begins at conception. I believe any intentional act after uh, the fertilized egg attaches to the womb is, is murder. I've said that it had that starts, that starts position all the way since I became a candidate and before so. Um, but I don't want people to take my personal views about abortion and believe those are the only motivations I have for supporting House Joint Resolution 1. That's what I was trying to get across, that it's, not, it. just about, it's not just about abortion. Because... Right now, we're introducing bills, the SAFE Act, to prevent, you know, uh, minors from having their genitalia mutilated and their breasts cut off and these hormone-blocking these hormone blocking drugs that will forever make them infertile. Well, the next initiative is going to be to put um, rights to those type of procedures for minors in the Constitution if we leave it at 50%. We're just going to continue down this path of legislating through a ballot initiative by outside organizations. So as a legislator, we can draft any rule we want, any statute that we want. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be trumped by the Constitution. Outside organizations know we are a Republican red state. At all three branches, we are a Republican-controlled red state. And the only way they can get their agenda passed is not through the normal uh, voting process of electing representatives for individual communities, but instead they're going to use our ability to change our Constitution with a weak 50% in order to get their agenda directly into the Constitution, negating the fact that we are a Republican state. I am so glad I asked you the question, because uh, you clarified it. And and I know what you have said in the past about being pro-life, but reading it the way it just read, it sound it, it can almost be taken like, I may not support uh, you know a ban on abortion and, and, and so forth, but I don't want outside forces uh, you know forcing that upon the people of the state of Ohio. Yeah. But that's it not was, what you was, meant, but it's just how I yeah. read it. So I wanted to get I, a clear. I, I yeah, you're not the only one that also mentioned that, but I wanted to be clear to individuals that try to attack us as, you know, the only reason that you're supporting this is for abortion. Right. Uh, my, my stance is that I, I support it for that, that purpose. Absolutely. But it's bigger than that, right? It, it's but much it's bigger. Big, it's bigger. It's much bigger than that. We have to protect our founding documents and our ability to be a republic here in the state of Ohio. What is the point in us going to the ballot box every single November to, to elect local officials, state officials, statewide officials, if those efforts can be overturned at the ballot box every other November uh, through a ballot initiative that offsets 
everything our elected officials are trying to do for us. So the voice of the people need to be heard in the state house. We don't need to uh, accept this 50-state-wide agenda that these organizations have to make us uniform across all 50 states. The idea is we want each state to decide what laws, what rules, what administrative codes are best suited for their individual state and their individual community. That is very, very well explained. We're talking with Representative Josh Williams, uh, state representative, freshman, uh, the first African-American Republican in the state house in some time. You talked about the discharge petition and the importance of it. You said it's sitting there waiting to be signed. We need 50 signatures on it. Can you Can you update us how many are on it? The last screenshot that I saw was before we left for Easter break, um, not holiday break, but Easter break. Uh, I believe we were at 26 or 27. And, and uh, the discharge position dropped right when people were leaving out of town. So we do have commitments from a substantial amount of others. We anticipated getting somewhere around 35 to 40. Um, but eventually we're going to need support of some of those members that are on the fence and some of the members that are in the 22. Um, in order to sign on to that. So we have members that are willing to sign uh, pledges uh, uh, to support, you know, pro-life about, uh, initiatives or support uh, August election. But the biggest the biggest way that you can affect this issue is to go and sign that discharge petition. Get it to the floor. If you want to debate this, it, it's not voting it in. It's getting it to the floor. If you want to debate this issue and whether or not we should amend the Constitution, let's have a true legislative session where everyone is recognized on the floor instead of being ignored, you have a chance to get up and speak in support or opposition to House Joint Resolution 1. What is the problem with having a true deliberative body? That is very well argued. That is exactly what everybody should consider. And when I talked to uh, Representative Wiggum, I think it was on Monday, um, uh, we, he said that he believes there is at least a handful, maybe a five or six type of number, of members of the Gang of 22 that regret what they did, that regret, uh, you know, turning back, turning their back on their oath, uh, for unanimity, which is to make sure that whoever won the caucus vote, uh, was supported unanimously by the entire Republican caucus. And, uh, they fell in with this whole thing and they now regret it. Um, do you have any sense of that, Representative Williams? And do you think that there will be a handful of them willing to come over and sign this discharge petition? I think there's going to be ones. I don't want to say that they regret what they did, but there there's a certain number of people that you know, supported um, Speaker Stevens throughout his speaker race and signed on, you know, and and made that decision to vote for him. Whether or not they did it with the clear intention of flipping from who, someone they supported before to to the speaker in an effort to gain something, I don't I don't know their motivation, but I know. I've been able to sit down and talk to each one of these individuals. I know I can have a working relationship with them. I know a lot of them uh, are pro-life, and they need to move this needle forward. It, yeah. This should not be a political strategy on whether or not you want to uphold an agreement that Russo went into the news and said existed. Instead, we should be looking at protecting the true individuals we should be protecting, which is the innocent unborn that are inside of their mother's womb that is potentially being ripped out of that womb through violence or through chemicals, um, merely because it's inconvenient for them to be born. Um, that's, that's not something that be, should be supported here in the state of Ohio. Uh, we had a bill that was a reasonable compromise in a heartbeat bill, although I want to see it go even further. That was a reasonable compromise, and even that is held up right now uh, in, an, in an injunction. But, but let's be clear. Our con- that bill 
That lawsuit is evidence why we need this, because there was an ad hoc move to amend the Constitution during the Obamacare era where we put an amendment on the books that guaranteed a right to health care. We did it very quick without thinking through what the results could be. And now that amendment that went through with a 50% vote is the avenue that they are using to hold up the heartbeat bill by saying that reproductive rights, what they believe are reproductive rights, are health care. And therefore, that constitutional amendment guarantees access to health care. Therefore, the Ohio Constitution already gives protections for abortion. That's the argument that's being litigated in our courts right now. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that there are some of those members of 22 who count themselves as being pro-life. And I hope you and others can uh, convince them and uh, you know explain to them this is a time where it can't be just words. It has to be action. you got to sign that thing, get this thing on a vote, and help us get this thing to an August uh, uh, a special election so that we can protect unborn babies. What better way to spend $20 million of taxpayer money than to save 30,000 babies' lives per year, by the way? Uh, tell them it's time to act, not just talk, if they truly are pro-life. I know you are doing that, and that's why you're out here being a leader. I thank you for that, and I really appreciate you coming on this morning, Representative Williams. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. God bless. That's Josh Williams. District 41 is out Toledo Way, Oregon. I think it's Oregon. I think it's Oregon. Uh, out Toledo Way, and he is. Uh, I'm going to tell you something. He is going to be a force in that body. He is going to be a force as his career grows. He's a freshman, but in the Ohio General Assembly, Josh Williams is going to be something to see. That is a leader right there. That is a leader. That is one of the most oppressive uh, people that I've seen come into this whole thing. And I don't care about his color. You know, it is historic, as they say. But uh, I just love what I hear from that guy. I just do. 1054. Always Right Radio. Right back. Great conversation with Representative Josh Williams. We had a great conversation prior to that as well with Jonathan Broadbent. And guess what we have coming up after the top of the hour? A great conversation with Kersenow. Yeah, Peter Kersenow was unable to join us for his regular Tuesday hit. He is making good by joining us after the top of this hour news. So Peter Kersenow will be with us, and I know you are going to want to hear his thoughts on the indictment of President Trump. All of this went down since the last time Pete and I talked, so I'm sure he's going to be like a fire hose, just ready to let loose with everything he's got on that situation. Uh, let me get a quick call in here from Lisa Woods in Medina before the top of the hour. Good morning, Lisa. Hey, good morning. What's on your mind? Well, we do have a meeting tomorrow. Not not tomorrow. I'm sorry. Saturday. I'm feeling like it's Friday because you guys aren't going to be on tomorrow. <laughs> yep, that's right. Good Friday observances tomorrow. Right on. Oh, that's wonderful. And I do, I do hope everyone has a very blessed Easter, uh, weekend. And to you as well. Thank you. Thank you. But we will have a meeting on Saturday at 9 a.m. at the Thirsty Cowboy. And we do have Judge Steve McKinley will be speaking and State Representative Melanie Miller. Um, I really worry about our Supreme Court judges. And at this time, I know that there are five that are will be throwing their hats in the ring for two seats. And before people even start considering which one they want to vote for, I want them to have a chance to get to know them. So I'll be inviting each of them to come speak to McFan for a half hour over the next few months. And so Steve McKinley will be our first one. 
and I hope everyone gets a chance to see and meet them before they really get on their campaign. Um, it's a good uh, idea. Hardcore. It's a really good idea. You know what I not, mean? Yeah, not enough people know enough about the judicial candidates, uh, uh, you know, particularly even if it comes to the Supreme Court. So I, I think it's a great idea to help them get to know uh, some of these people. So that's a good plan, and I'm glad you're starting it on Saturday. Again, not tomorrow. Medina County Friends and Neighbors <laughs> at the Thirsty Cowboy on Saturday at 9 a.m. If you are uh, uh, of the mind and you have the opportunity to stop out and see a bunch of great people, go and see Lisa and the presentations there on Saturday. Lisa, thank you so much oh, for calling. You. God bless you. Have a great meeting on Saturday. God bless you, too. Thank you. Thank you. It's 11 o'clock in time for news, and then it's time for Cursing Out on AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz. On AM 1420, The Answer. Onward we go into hour number three, our last hour of the week. Live anyway. Tomorrow, don't forget, there's a best of, as we observe, as all of Salem does. Uh, Good Friday and the start of Holy, well, technically today is the start of Holy Weekend on Holy Thursday, but we do observe. And uh, so tomorrow will be a best of show for you. A lot of great interviews, a lot of great segments we've done, commentary segments I think you'll enjoy tomorrow's broadcast if you uh, are able to tune in. Uh, for now, we're going to go out in style. I said that before with Jonathan Broadbent. I said it with Josh Williams, state representative from Toledo. I'm going to say it now because this is our guy, uh, our regular Tuesday commentator. He is a Cleveland attorney. He is a, uh, a best-selling author. He's a columnist. He's a law professor. He's the host of the Kersenow Report. And, of course, he's the longest-serving member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights in the history of that board. Peter Kersenow, welcome back, my friend. <laughs> Person, I want a Thursday. We'll take it, Peter. How are you, my friend? Well, a little under the weather. My my, uh, voice is still a little compromised, but I'm really pleased to be with you. Well, it's good to have you, and uh, if uh, if the voice gives out, we will excuse you. It happens to the best of us. If it happens to you, it happens to the best of us. Pete, since you and I last spoke, there was an arraignment. There was a press conference. There was an explanation of legal charges, 34 felony counts that could put President Donald J. Trump and leading presidential candidate in the new presidential cycle, Donald J. Trump, behind bars for 136 years. All at the whim of uh, overstuffed Alvin Bragg, who stood there and 
He stands there daily and turns violent criminals loose, tells them they don't have to go to prison, they don't have to go to jail. He makes his career literally uh, dropping felonies down to misdemeanors for all of these people, and then decided to stack up a whole bunch of misdemeanors and turn them into felonies for Donald J. Trump. So all of that happened since you and I last spoke, Peter Kirst. Now, let me just give you some room here. Well, first of all, I'm probably not going to say anything that hasn't been already been said by a number of individuals. I'm not going to get too deep into legal analysis other than to say that um, it's what everyone thinks it is. It's nothing but a, no pun intended, trumped-up charge. When you take a look at it, in fact, if you really unpack it, um, what it fails to do is identify what the crime is that he was trying to cover up. Uh, it's a real problem that I think may be subject to dismissal at some point, uh, you know, at the appropriate point. And I'll leave it to Trump's attorneys, obviously, to determine when that is. But, um, you know, the under the new – it just struck me. I had a little bit of time, spare time this week to take a look at this thing. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done so. Uh, but it under the New York State Penal Code, they must show that Trump – made a false business entry. That's what the allegation is, correct? You know, it's got, and he's got all these different uh, counts, but they all relate to the same thing. He's trying to just, again, trump up one individual transaction into you know, a number of different accounts. Uh, 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 Bootstrapping, that, I believe it was called. That's what yeah, a couple of right. attorneys have called it, yeah. But he has to show that he was doing that to try to cover up the commission of another crime. But Entering into a non-disclosure agreement, and I must have been committing crimes probably about four to five hundred times in my career then, because I've prepared NDAs. It's done habitually, and that's not a crime. So he's going to have a problem there in addition to all the other problems he's going to have. But Alvin Bragg is a buffoon. Uh, it's unfortunate. You know, people don't have a very high opinion of the legal profession to begin with. Uh, and I know he's the hero to the left right now, but he's simply a utilitarian hero. In other words, they use him for this particular purpose, but it does profound damage. It, again, put aside partisanship. The law has taken a beating during the course of the Trump presidency and the aftermath, not because of Trump. Remember, the left kept saying how horrible he was because he was going to just damage our institutions irreparably. But everything they accused Trump of potentially doing, they have done on steroids. And it is a real problem for the continued viability of the constitutional, constitutional republic that we understand. This is not small potatoes. What we saw a couple of days ago, again, I'm repeating with what a number of pundits have said, but there's no... Um, th- there's nothing novel about the commentary. This is as clear and as plain as can be. What we saw is the stuff of Central and South American politics, African politics. It's banana republic is the, the term. It's not something that we ever thought we'd see in the United States of America, but we've seen the politicization of the justice system over and over and over again, and it comes unrelentingly and and universally from the left. The right doesn't do this. It comes from the left. I don't care what the pundits have got to say. The pundits are on somebody's side, and they don't understand that, you know, the the old thing about uh, Reynold Neighbor, you know, I didn't uh, speak out when they came for the cook because I was not, whatever it may be. At some point, the cooks and the taxi drivers and anybody else who may be in favor of the prosecution of Trump, they will come after you. The the most prescient poster there is out there is the one of Trump pointing and saying, they're not after me. I'm just in the way. They're after you. 
And that is true. That is absolutely the case. This is one of the most serious and alarming developments in American history. No, I agree with every word of that. Um, I want to go back to the underlying crime part, which um, it's been said several times was not listed in the actual language of the indictment, which is important. But I want you to correct me if I'm wrong here. I thought he stated what the underlying crime was in the press conference afterwards. And I'll quote uh, this part of it. Um, in fact, maybe I'll quote a line or two before it just to give it context. Um Donald Trump executives at the publishing company American Media Incorporated, Mr. Cohen and others agreed to a catch-and-kill scheme. That is a scheme to buy and suppress negative information to help Mr. Trump's chance of winning the election. At part, as part of this scheme, Donald Trump and others made three payments to people who claimed to have negative information about Mr. Trump. To make these payments, they set up shell companies and made yet more false statements, including, for example, an AMI, business records. Uh, one of the three people that they paid to keep quiet was a woman named Stormy Daniels. Less than two weeks before the presidential election, Michael Cohen wired $130,000 to uh, uh, to Stormy Daniels' lawyer. That payment was to hide damaging information from the voting public. The participant scheme was illegal. And now this is the line, Pete. The scheme violated New York election law, which makes it a crime to conspire to promote a candidacy by unlawful means. Then he goes on to say the $130,000 wire payment exceeded the federal campaign contribution cap, et cetera, et cetera. Is, I took that line to mean that this is the underlying crime. The crime is conspiring to promote a candidacy by unlawful means and and sending those checks and then misreporting them or, or not, not accurately reflecting them in the business records and so forth, trying to claim that they were uh, for attorneys' fees rather than hush money or to, you know, for this, uh, you know, NDA, as you say, um, that you can't do that if what you were doing it for is uh, a crime in and of itself. And he is saying that in New right. York, it's a crime to conspire to promote a candidacy by unlawful means. I am nobody's attorney. Can you figure that out for me? No, I can't figure it out because you can't figure it out. You can't. The the fact of the matter is the the underlying transaction is completely lawful. You can pay anybody any amount of money you want to. What was wrong about supposedly wrong about it was the paperwork associated with it that made it appear to be something other than what it was. There's no underlying crime at all. Nothing. You can pay anybody under an NDA, and there's no way in the world that anybody can say the payment to Stormy Daniels to anybody is something that was designed to violate the federal election law. That's the thing. The Federal Election Commission itself said no violation. But here we come with Bragg, who's well, a And so did attorney. his predecessor, by the way. In addition to the FEC right, saying nothing wrong, right. Cy Vance said <clears throat> nothing wrong, or at least not actionable, not anything we can charge. But, but here he comes. And again, it's just that line that he said in the press conference. I mean, I don't know what New York law says, but he says New York law says it's a crime to conspire to promote a candidacy by unlawful means yeah. it has to be what he's talking about when he says an underlying crime that allows him to bootstrap it uh and and turn these into felonies yeah well then he should have put that in the indictment very explicitly and and better attorneys than me meaning annie mccarthy who did this stuff on a regular basis i think I, i'm pretty sure he's weighed in on this in the same fashion the dershowitzes of the world i'm sure have have weighed in on this and just a simple reading by somebody like me, a little old lawyer from Cleveland, I looked at it and said, I kept reading it and kept reading it and said, okay, what am I missing? 
And, and but but you know, and I always does he have to does he have to list the underlying crime in the indictment? Yes, in the indictment. Yes, yes, he does. See, I don't get that. How does he even? How does he even submit this? How is there even a charge right now? Well, this is one of the reasons why they've waited for so long because they were struggling mightily. I believe they were struggling mightily to articulate something that wouldn't be completely laughed out, even at the arraignment. That's, that's, this is how flimsy this is. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that this doesn't present uh, a problem for Trump, because, you know, it's New York. You've got a judge here who is uh, a Biden uh, donor and whose daughter worked for the <laughs> Kamala Harris campaign. You've got Bragg, who said over and over and over again, I'm, de- I'm getting Trump, I'm getting Trump. His entire campaign was based on that. You've got a, uh, an area that draws jurors from a pool that consists of 82% Hillary voters or anti-Trump voters. So Trump's got some problems there, but I don't even know that it's actually going to go to trial. I think that even before it gets to trial, there may be motions to dismiss out there that get appealed up. This is going to be tied up for a long, long time is the, is the point. And I wouldn't get – here's the thing, Bob. Personally, I don't get involved in the minutia of this because I think that's precisely what they want us to do. This is a joke from the jump as they say. And the fact of the matter is we all know what this is about. We all know. Everybody knows. And we're trying to pretend as if there's some kind of um, a legitimacy to this. This is designed to – I don't want to overthink this. There are people out here who think that they're, they're trying to get Trump to be the nominee. Okay, I think I, I think that's giving them way too much credit. They're trying to do what they've been doing for the last seven years, and that is get Trump, damage Trump. They're petrified of this man and his movement. It's that simple. And they're trying to take him down. And they're using all the means that they said Trump would damage the country by, by, by eliminating and corrupting the norms, by affecting the legal system, by not respecting the justice system and all these, and they're doing it everything from the first impeachment to the second impeachment to Russiagate remember they tried to stage a coup against the sitting president of the United States they spied on the sitting president by they I mean the FBI the CIA the entire Obama administration and nothing has happened to them this is the complete and utter corruption of our system many people and you know I usually go to VDH to Victor Davis Hanson because he speaks just like I do Victor Davis Hanson says that this is you know the end of of our system and it's that serious you don't come back from this and what has to happen I believe unfortunately I would never say this before Bob I would never have said this I don't believe engaging to tit for tat but sometimes you got to punch back twice as hard if the Republicans do not respond in kind game over because nothing will stop the Democrats from now on they'll continue to grab more and more and more and corrupt the system even more and as I've said on your show several times you cannot vote for a single Democrat whether it's president or dog catcher because if you do so it feeds the Borg and we're dead Peter here there's so many so many layers to this so many things I want to say and follow up with you on um, including how you think this plays out from the criminal perspective whether it goes before a jury ever or not but uh, just let me let me go with most recent first you just said Democrats or Republicans have to hit back how Um, are there Republican Alvin Braggs are there DA's out there 
that will reach and stretch and get a grand jury to indict a Democrat for whatever, like you said, to say that we're fighting back, we're pushing back, we've got to show them if you keep this up, tit for tat, we will do it too, etc. There has to be Republican Alvin Braggs for that to happen, and I hate to think that there's even one overstuffed Alvin, let alone multiple of them, on either side of the spectrum, but that's what would have to happen here. How do we push back without doing that and having those people in place uh, to say, indict Hunter Biden or the Biden family? Right. Right. And the thing of it is, of course, we respect the rule of law. We're Republicans. And that's the real danger to this. That's my point. How do we fight back without being like them? (laughs) Right. Republicans and conservatives used to believe in the rule of law now. And now our our faith in the system has been completely shattered and corrupted over the last number of years. This is a real problem, that they've done this to us to cause us to lose faith in the justice system. However, I'll I'll just say this. I don't know who would do it other than I think it was Representative James Comer has already said he's been contacted by numerous DAs, Republican DAs. DAs, uh, indicating they want to bring charges against various members of the administration, uh, most importantly, Biden himself, and of course, Hunter Biden, who is a walking criminal rap sheet. Yeah. The, there are, I don't know how many felonies that have been depicted on his laptop. You know, the, of course, nobody on the left is going to go after it. They'll let him do whatever they want to. But Biden himself, I mean, the, the, the simple fact that we learned yesterday that all the classified documents that, of course, Trump, if he takes classified documents, it's the worst thing that ever happened in the world. But what we have is Biden had classified documents stored all over the place, including in Chinatown, of all places. And these are things that he, as vice president, as President Trump has pointed out many times, had no authority to declassify and take, whereas he said, you know, presidential privilege allowed him to do that. We can't allow this to happen. If they're going to go after Trump for this ridiculous New York charge for something like that, then when we have national security implicated, no, that's not an exaggeration. National security implicated by what the Bidens have done. We we never have gotten an explanation from that idiot Merrick Garland. Again, I'll say again, I thought he was a, a good judge when I appeared before him. But that guy is, I, I, I'm going to stay quiet about that. Okay. Otherwise, let, I may have some expletives. But understand. The fact of the let, let, let me pause you there anyway so we can take our time out here. It's already 1124. We'll come back, talk more about that. And I want to talk back to the criminal case against Trump about where it goes, because we all know what, what's happening here. Uh, they've uh, made the next hearing, I think, for December with a trial potentially starting in January, which happens to be when the Iowa caucuses are. So I want to talk about the trial aspect of this and uh, and where that goes. We'll continue with Kirsten on next. Okay, let's continue with Kirsten on now. We've got him for three minutes here and then one more segment after the bottom of the hour. Pete, um... Like I said, there's a lot of layers and a lot of questions, and I've got to selectively choose here. I guess I'm going to go to the question about uh, the motivation. You said you don't think they're that smart to try to uh, get Trump indicted, get him uh, in the middle of this trial and convict him to stop him, or excuse me, to uh, ensure that he actually becomes the nominee. Yesterday I talked to Kurt Schlichter, you're probably familiar with, from Town yep. Hall. He's an attorney as well and uh, super, super strong conservative, and he believes what you just said uh, to be true, though. He believes that they know that by persecuting Trump the way they are, it's going to rally support for him and it's right. going to make sure he's the nominee. And that's what they want because he believes that they believe that he is by far the easiest candidate to beat in 2024 because he's not going to pull anybody else with him other than his base. Uh, he's going to be embarrassed and humiliated by all of these things. Moderates who already don't like him are going to loathe him and on down the line we go. He thinks that uh, the Democrats know they can beat Trump because they did it once and they'll, even if they have to pull 
few strings, wink, wink, if you will, to do it, they can beat him again a lot more easily than they can uh, by somebody else as the Republican nominee. Uh, you want to dig into that? Yeah, I, I think both things could be true, but I do think that it's they are not trying to pull a fast one in that regard. I think that the, the simplest explanation is probably the correct one, and that is, as they've been doing for the last seven years, they're going after Trump to damage him. Because, frankly, the smarter people in the Democratic Party know Trump likely would be the nominee anyway, okay? And... As I said, both things can be true. They figure, we got to go after Trump, whether that redounds to his benefit by making him the nominee and, you know, we think we can defeat him, fine. If it doesn't, then fine, we've damaged Trump. You know, either way, they're going after Trump because what they're most concerned about, and of course they're concerned about DeSantis, but what they're most concerned about is the movement behind Trump. That's what's most important. They've got to damage, what was it, uh, um, you know, you've got to kill the, um, uh, the, the head of the movement. Or so. I, I don't remember what the term was, but that's Put off the head of the snake here. or something like that, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, you, you've got to hit the. I don't. I, I don't remember what it is. Not important. Sorry. But um, it, both can be true, and, and it's not important. The fact of the matter is, this is quote unquote a trumped up uh, indictment in order to get Trump. It's all about getting Trump either to rally their own base, to dispirit mm-hmm. our base. To, it doesn't matter. They have to. But in get any way, Trump. Peter, which are, whichever side is right, it's election interference. And that's that's the key here. I mean, if he was not running for president, they would not have brought these charges. If he was just, I'm done now, I'm retired, I've had my run, and they would no way they would be pursuing these charges. The only reason is because he is running for president, and whether it's by you know one direction or the other to either promote him as the candidate or kill his candidacy, it's election interference. One way, no matter way, which way you slice it. Absolutely. And the New York Post reports this morning that I think it's Michael Colangelo, one of the top guys at DOJ, is actually running the show. He had gone to New York to actually run the entire matter. So this is something that is staged. It's a collective effort on the part of the Democratic Party from the top to the bottom. And it rallies their own base. They want to get Trump. They have a bloodlust for Trump. And that's precisely why I think it's imperative for us to stand uniformly behind Trump, more importantly, behind the Trump movement. We cannot Lynch. This is, you know, a call to arms at this point. It's a, it, metaphorically, I mean, metaphorically. No, okay, of conservatives course. understand that. I know. But this is something that <laughs> these never Trumpers never got it. They never got it. They thought that mere words and being nice and everything, we had to be collegial, you know, we have to walk within the norms and that, that somehow they would be nice, they'd be nicer. No, they want to destroy us. Trump understood it. They knew that Trump understood it, and that's why they knew Trump was the greatest threat. Peter Kirsten, I will continue with this one more segment after this on AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. Okay, it's 11.36, final segment of the broadcast, final segment of the uh, week, as a matter of fact. Don't forget, Good Friday tomorrow, so Salem is off. We have a... Uh, a best of show lined up for you that I think you will enjoy. We do wrap it uh, now with Peter Kirsten. Now one more segment here, Pete. So, going back to uh, uh, overstuffed Alv- uh, Alvin's uh, uh, indictment and arraignment in this little press conference. Uh, what we learned is that they want to start this trial next January. This is April. 
What about the Sixth Amendment and the right to a speedy trial? First of all, for anybody. Number two, though, for somebody who is running for president of the United States. This thing needs to be held. It needs to be uh, decided and over with before we get into the uh, to the meat of the election season. Instead, Alvin Bragg wants to hold this thing in January so that Donald Trump would be tethered to a chair in a courtroom uh, in front of a jury instead of in Iowa or on his way to New Hampshire and getting this whole thing rolling. So when I said election interference, I meant it in the very literal sense of the word. Um, do you think that is going to hold? Do you think that uh, it, there's is there any card for Trump's lawyers to play to say, no way we're going to have a trial in uh, the middle of the actual primary season? Yeah, exhibit number 342 as to what a travesty this is. And I think it's just one of the elements that Trump's lawyers are going to look at to show that not only is this just a politicized prosecution, but this is an abomination under the law. Um, This is, uh, you know, it's not overstating it to say that we are at a critical juncture in the country. I think we've gone beyond it, frankly, and we're on a downward slope. And it's going to require a lot of rowing to get us back. I do think that this is not going to go to trial. I think there are going to be a number of motions that are going to be interspersed throughout the entire proceeding that are going to require appeals. And there'll be uh, all manner of litigation related to so many different issues here. So we're going to see, and that's part of their strategy also. I mean, for them, they think this is a win-win. No matter what, at the ultimate, whether Trump ultimately wins, which he will, it will, they believe, damage him and tie him up so much that, um, you know, it's going, to, it's going to impact his ability to win any elections. I think that they've miscalculated, though. I think that there's the, people, to a large extent, have come to their conclusions about Trump for good or bad. So you're not going to be changing those folks. It's that maybe 4 to 5% that could be swayed by this or haven't voted in the past, but now see what's going on. This is alarming to just average people who aren't even political. I mean, they may not even know anything about our, the foundations of our government, but they understand when something is off, when something is wrong, when something is terrifying, actually. And they saw a president, a very rich president, who had to sit there and listen to this kind of bull. And if he has to do this, they can come after you and ruin your life irretrievably. They get that kind of stuff. Because Americans have lived, thankfully, in a representative republic, in a democracy that respected the rule of law in large part, and we didn't think that we were necessarily in jeopardy, or at least the masses of people didn't do so. I think that rips the band-aid off of that, or rips the cover off of that particular illusion now. Mm-hmm. And I think people see that the Democrats will do whatever it takes. And if they're okay. going to do whatever it takes and they can marshal those resources against Trump, they'll do it against uh, ordinary Americans. So, Pete, let's play defense attorney now, if you can. Um, I was talking to Kurt about this yesterday, and he wasn't so sure. He thinks it's going to go to a trial. Um, I'm thinking, if I'm Donald Trump's attorney... I cannot let this go before a jury. First of all, a Manhattan jury. He's not going to get a change of venue. But before a Manhattan jury, simply from the standpoint of New York City, and Manhattan is filled with people who hate him. It's like 90 to 10, Democrat to Republican. But, But aside from that fact, a jury trial is going to involve witnesses. 
And they're going to bring up every witness they can to shame and embarrass him, including Stormy Daniels, including Karen McDougal. And she's going to provide salacious details about what they did when they met, all the things that went into the affair. He has denied the affair ever happened. Uh, uh, she's going to come up with Lord only knows what kind of evidence. Um, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be embarrassing. It's going to humiliate him. And again, if it's done in January, while voters are going to the polls in Iowa and in New Hampshire and in the in the first primary states, um, if I'm Donald, I'm not a lawyer, but if I'm Donald Trump's lawyer, I'm thinking I cannot allow this to go before a jury with with witnesses testifying. Um, even if he wins, it's going to do just significant damage to hear all of those things. So I've got to either get this these charges kicked by the judge on lack of evidence, or I've got to plea and throw some money at it and, uh, you know, pay a fine and, and, and be done with it. Tell me if I'm, uh, you know, tell me where I'm wrong. Well, that's not unreasonable, but I do think um, it's wrong. Everyone has already made a judgment about Trump and Trump's character. There's like 14 people living under a bridge somewhere who haven't. So that's not the issue. Whatever comes out in trial is not going to change anybody's opinion of Trump. And those, those opinions are so hardened. But what will happen is, I do think it's going to largely change the opinion of people with respect to the justice system and how it's being abused by one party for partisan reasons alone. That's the kind of thing that I think motivated people to give tens of millions of dollars to Trump already because of this. People are disgusted by that. So I don't think it's going to move the needle with respect to opinions on Trump at all, maybe half a percent at best. But it's going to move opinions about what Trump rails against and has been for a long time. People will finally see with their own eyes what he's been saying the Democrats have been up to for a long time, and they're doing it with respect to one of the most powerful people in the world, so you're toast if they come after you, and they have been coming after you with the FBI and the IRS and everybody else who they're going after, the MAGA Republicans. So I think those folks who are even on the sidelines, not really identifying as a MAGA Republican, they're concerned because they know that the America that they were instructed about in school, even in, in the kind of public schools that we have now, is not the America that they're seeing displayed right now in Alvin <laughs> Bragg's prosecution. Okay, so to simplify your answer, if you were his defense counsel, you would take this to a jury? No, I wouldn't, because what you, you, you explore everything you can as a lawyer to help your client. This had to do with Trump and his prospects, political prospects. I think you do everything you can to kick the case. You know, you're filing all kinds of motions, whatever you can. That's what you do. But the result of all the litigation is going to be a net plus for Trump, because there's nothing that's going to come out that's going to change anyone's perspective on Trump. So um, how do you foresee it going then, Pete? Um, you know, it's one thing oh, to say this is what I would do, but do you, think, do you think that the judge, I doubt, I don't know much about the judge except that his daughter worked for Kamala Harris. Oh, my gosh, the music's playing. We're done. Do you think they get it kicked or no? Um, too, too early to tell. Okay. And I don't think that I'm qualified to say that under New York law. I don't know it enough. I don't know this judge well, judge well no, enough. I got it. Relying on uh, the Andy McCarthy's and others of the world to inform my opinion. Right. But I think that this is going to. I think well, we're going to have, have, have to stop it with. No, you're going to stop it with too soon to tell here, Pete, because we're about to end the show. Hey, Peter, thank you for coming on. I know you're very busy right now. I appreciate you doing that. Uh, have a blessed weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. And everyone, you too, thank you. Have, have a blessed Easter weekend. And to all listeners and my entire team, thanks, everyone. We'll see you Monday.
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.